0: Welcome to episode 59 of Photography Insights, your one-stop guide to interviews with people in the photography industry. Before we move on, just a big thank you to you all for listening and supporting the show. There are a couple of ways you can help further, which are by leaving an iTunes review and sharing the show with your friends. One of your friends will be interested, you can guarantee. There is a massive range of people interviewed, so there is something for everyone's interest. Today we have a legendary film and video photographer from the UK called Paul Beriff. He's been shooting for over 50 years in the press world of photography and documentary filmmaking. It's hard to introduce a man who has done so much, and to try and get a glimpse of this during one podcast was always going to be tough. Anyway, a little bit about Paul. He purchased his first camera with money he earned from a newspaper round, and followed emergency vehicles on his pushback. He learned how to meet her by meeting bands like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in their dressing rooms during the 1960s. Paul has got some great stories from just working in the press industry, even going through four near-death experiences. One of these concerns 9-11, and so you can feel the magnitude of what Paul is saying. So please do check out his video on YouTube. As usual, check the show notes on the website for links to his amazing work. So let's roll the music and await our host, Andrew Wormsley.
1: And welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. Nice to be with you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great to have you on the show. Obviously, Um a man of your talents and history. I think we've got to start at the beginning, Paul, don't we? Yes,
2: a long time ago. <laughs> a, long a long time, long time ago. ago. Um, <laughs> I was 12 years of age, and I mm-hmm. think this would be in the late 50s. And um, I then I had two paper rounds in Headingley in Leeds. I, I was born not far from the Headingley Cricket Ground. Ah,
1: right.
2: And uh, every Saturday, uh, along with the newspapers, There were two magazines published, one was called Picture Post and one called Life Magazines. These were large format magazines, glossy magazines, but all the images were in black and white. And in those days we didn't have television like we have now. And so everybody got their news and both in text and visuals from newspapers and especially these magazines. The magazines would cover big news stories royal events disasters everything was in in, in these magazines mm. and uh, every page was virtually a picture a black and white picture with a small caption underneath describing what what it was or what had happened wow. and on a on a sat, went, went, sat saturday morning in the way i was standing in people's doorways and so my my way through all these pages and Admired these uh, striking black and white pictures, and I thought one day I, I, I want to be a photographer for uh, Life or Picture Post. Anyway, um, as a result of the earnings from my paper round, uh, I bought a Rolliflex medium format camera. Um, paper rounds were paying good money in those days. I mean, <laughs> that, then they were extremely expensive. I mean, you know, they were the Rolls Royce of film cameras. And um, I bought one of those, and I started to emulate the images I'd seen in these magazines. By that I mean I, I couldn't go to major earthquake disasters on the side <laughs> of the world, but I concentrated on um, things happening street life in my yeah. area. And um, I couldn't drive a car then at that age and uh, i used to follow police cars and fire engines on my bike push bike and oh. uh, and take pictures of accidents and people laying out laid out in the road or fire firing oh. firemen writing <laughs> big fires and that's how it all started and uh, i used to go home and then I, I had a dark room in my attic and i used to process the film and and do the prints there uh, oh. so to this day, I I've still got the negatives. I've got about seventy-five images of car crashes and that in Leeds. So
0: uh, it's amazing
2: true. to go back and look at all those back then. And um, yeah, and then I um, from there, I I I got a job after leaving school. I didn't go to university. Uh, I went straight into the newspaper business, and I got a job as a copy boy. And a okay. copy boy is where. We all started in those days, some of the most famous reporters and uh, and television people and, and journalists now all started as copyboys on on newspapers. And a copyboy uh, would take bits of news um, stories around the different departments and pictures to the picture editor and go and do this and do that and the other. So you got a really good grounding of what a newspaper was like anyway i wanted to be a reporter and i used to go after, after work i used to go to night school to study typing and shorthand typing and shorthand and uh, and that went on for about a year but everywhere i went i, I carried my Rolleiflex camera and one lunchtime um, i was going through the middle of leeds city centre and uh, a mini car uh, came across the pavement in front of me and crashed into a uh, a, a big a large shop window carrying several people with it and i was first on the scene so i took some pictures and that made uh the front page of the uh, Yorkshire evening post that night the following day the editor uh, had me in and said paul you're not going to be a reporter you're going to be a photographer and we're sending you down into the dark rooms so i was then transferred down into uh, the dark rooms and that's where my photographic career started so i did about a year in the dark rooms mixing chemicals and uh-huh. and all that goes with it so i i learned all about film processing
1: uh-huh.
2: uh, and um and then i uh, i got a job as um a press photographer a junior press photographer
1: uh-huh.
2: and um i did that for about three or four years and it was during that time when um I started studying photography more. When I when I was a copy boy, and, and at the point where I went from copy boy to, to be in the dark rooms, when I was in the dark rooms, um, the pop scene burst upon us.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: This was 1963. And mm. I was always looking for subjects. I'd done my street life shots, you know, following guys yeah. around and things. So I thought I'd do an essay uh a picture documentary with these new pop groups that were coming on stream so i'd been a, a journalist person i got to know all the theater managers at all the cinemas where these new pop groups were appearing and we had two or three happening a week uh, mm-hmm. and they let me backstage and i started taking pictures of these people um some of these people i talk about are called the beatles the rolling stones um and then Pink Floyd, as Roy Orbison, Marion Faithful. I think I photographed all of them, and and I was only like sixteen years of age now. Oh, so they were new as well. So it wasn't like I was going in to meet these superstars, which they all became, as we know. They uh-huh. were just starting, and when I first met the Beatles for instance, they were at the bottom of the running order at these shows. I mean, I first met the Beatles in Leeds, at the Odeon in Leeds, and uh, uh, the the headliner was uh, Helen Shapiro, it was a Helen Shapiro show. And then uh-huh. you had Fiddy and the Dreamers and uh, the Hollies, the Searchers, and uh, at the bottom, this group called the Beatles. So, it was new to them. But they went off and made more money than I did. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um I I I I met the Beatles probably about six times throughout the north of England. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the second time, I think Paul McCartney recognized me and he would come up to me and ask me how my photography was going. I said I'm I'm doing all right, Paul. And he would pose occasionally for me, and I got some amazing pictures of Paul with um, just the the light bulb in a, in these dingy dressing rooms. I was testing my exposures, my film. I used I used Kodak Tri-X film. I'm still okay. using my Rolleiflex, and um, I was really using them as a testing ground for my photography, not because of who they were. Yeah, I mean they were not they were just at the start of the of what was called beetle it was just starting but i captured them in the dressing rooms and on stage with with no problems whatsoever nobody was holding me back there was no managers there with them saying you can't do this you can't do that so here i was um with these guys and i, and I got some lovely intimate pictures of them all and it wasn't just a beetle it was the rolling stones And uh, many of the others, I eventually, uh, a year or two after that, I I photographed uh, Jimi Hendrix and Pink Floyd. uh, Mm. The Pink Floyd guys I met in Leeds uh, when they were appearing at Leeds University and they invited me down to um, Abbey Road when they were recording uh, their first album. Uh, And I've got a couple of pictures of them there, uh, which I think is the only pictures of them recording the album down at Abbey Road Studios. So these are all black and white monochrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and about the same time I, um, I, I, got a Nikon camera, the Nikon F, which mm-hmm. was, um, the next generation up from Roliflex. So We started, I started using a five by four camera and, uh, and then I went on to Roliflex and then, uh, the next posh thing was to get a Nikon or a 35mm camera. So the press guys were u- using Nikon F cameras, 35mm Tri-X. I still got those three cameras. I still use those in preference to digital. <clears throat> wow. So, so what happens now is I will go out. I love doing monochrome, mm-hmm. um, but I will, I will, I will take my 5x4 camera mm-hmm. uh, and all my Roliflex um i occasionally use my 35 mil nikon but i really preferred the large format negative in yeah. the rollyflex or the five x four uh, and and come back and then process the um uh, film myself and then i will scan it digitally onto the computer then work from it from there then i have a large format printer and then I can produce larger images and all that sort of thing. But at the same time I'm taking these, I will take the same picture. I have a Canon 5D Mark II, which I use. I'll I'll, I'll take it in color with that. So I've got original monochrome on film, and then I've also got a backup on color if the subject is worthy of that. But I tend to go more for dramatic black and white white imagery. I love it. I love black and white. Mm so that's I still and I still, as I say, I still use the five by four speed graphic and the Rolleiflex to and a quarter square.
1: Wow, that's amazing! Really, um what TriX was was it then? Was it ISO four hundred?
2: Yeah, it's still mm-hmm. produced. I still use it. It's yeah. Kodak TriX. Yeah, it's four hundred ISO, or oh, it was ASA back in, in my day. ASA. But ISO, yeah, it's four hundred, which is it's a good. It's a good film because um, you can work it in low light conditions.
1: Hmm.
2: And 400 ASA film back then was um, very fast. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, So we were working. When I like available light. I don't like using flash photography. Mm-hmm. I don't like using lights either when I'm doing uh, portrait or, uh, or even movie film. I prefer to shoot available light. So one of the reasons i was photographing the pop groups like the beatles i was testing uh, my film speed and i used to work at 25 with a uh, uh, 28 or something like that you know I, I can hold my camera so still i don't Jesus, breathe when i'm taking good. pictures i don't breathe when i'm taking pictures or when i or, or when i'm filming uh, i hold my breath so there's wow. no shake or anything and i've got so used to that i can hold my breath for over two minutes now uh <laughs> which is incredible um and and and, and I, I i never use a tripod i uh i don't on long exposure stuff but on general pictures i don't um i like uh, you know the feel of it and the i like you know and also I like people in my pictures, and you have to be quick on, on a lot of these occasions. But um, no, all the early, early, all those early days were absolutely uh, a godsend for me in learning the trade, basically the profession. And uh, you know, I started on newspapers when, um, as a press photographer, when they used to literally stop the press for me. The paper would be printed a, around five o'clock in the afternoon, the late edition. Uh, and say, a, uh, there's a, a major fire somewhere in Yorkshire. I, I would go out and, and take pictures, and then run back through the machine room. The machine room is the room where the are uh, the big machines printing these newspapers. Yeah, yeah. And, and and all the um, all the printers would be st- stood there with their arms folding, folded, waiting for Paul to come back with his pictures and lit <laughs> stop, stop the, the presses. And then we quickly developed the um, film or, or the plate, you know, if it was a, on the 5.4 camera. Yeah. And uh, I would reach it up to um, um, the, 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 the department that actually made the, the, the what they call blocks. They would transfer uh, the, the picture into a, um, a metal block, oh. which uh, <laughs> uh, would go um, on the. On 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 the page setup, yeah, um, and um, then that would go on the rollers on on the on the machines, and then that they, that that they know. go. That's how it does it. But I mean, yeah. all that had to be done within fifteen minutes or something. I mean, it was just incredible, and uh I mean, it's exciting times.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, it, <laughs> it's changed a lot. But um, I've listened to some pros who do sports. And Mm. the difference now is you've got the same time constraints because by the end of the year, you know, if it's football, for instance, by the end of the football, they've already um, transmitted their details via Wi-Fi to Mm. someone who edits them in a control room, ready for going out on the websites and news articles and stuff. So the photographers don't... um, don't have a chance to do anything other than click, 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 click and that's it. It's the last they see of it. They go home. It's it's amazing the difference.
2: I know. I mean, I, I, I was on the newspaper for about three or four years, and then I I was asked to join BBC Television News based in Leeds to cover the north of England. Mm-hmm. And back then, I was only 21, I was shooting on film it was film again it was uh uh i was using the clockwork bolex camera they were called a 16 millimeter film bolex where we put these um, reels of film in. and it, when i started it was black and white uh, uh and each of these rolls uh lasted two and a half minutes and then you had to take it out and put another one in but we were only allowed one roll per story and I, I, I will then take it to to Leeds, um, um, BBC Leeds, where we had a, a van in the backyard of the BBC where we used to process all this black and white film. Um, about two years after I started, uh, Colour came in, Colour Television, mm-hmm. and I had to shoot the story in black and white for Leeds, and then Colour... For the national news in london now we couldn't transmit the color uh film to london it physically had to go to london and um i remember one day i was covering the queen at york minster as she was doing some ceremony there Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and the ceremony finished at three o'clock and i put my um hundred foot roll of color film in a we used to have a bright orange box that said BBC Television News on it. And um, I would take it to the station and give it to the guard on the train. Um, British Rail, as it was then, British Railways had a, a service called Red Star, where if you gave a parcel to the guard, um, told somebody at the other end it was coming, they, would, they could meet it at the other end of the train oh. journey. So that's how we used to get our pictures to... London. Now, on one on this particular occasion, when I was taking uh, film of the Queen in York, uh, I was pushing it to catch. I think the train was at five past three or something. I got through it onto the station at York, leapt out of my car with it, my orange box with a film inside it, just as if I could see the train leaving the platform.
1: Oh God!
2: Um, in those days, the guard was in the last carriage. And they knew about this because all cameramen, uh, television news cameras, used to give the, the guard these BBC news packages. So as I was running onto the platform, I was waving this orange box and they knew what it was. It was television news and the train started to go faster down the platform. So I started to run after it and I got to the end of the platform and it sloped down <laughs> and I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do here. So I threw this box and the guard actually caught it oh,
1: <laughs> jesus
2: That uh, got to london and it made the six headlines of the six o'clock news <laughs> another, an, an, another story sometimes um i would drive i'd drive to london with the footage if it was a big oh. news story uh late afternoon and i was whizzing down the m1 in my Ford Cortina 1600e, Mm. which was the car of the moment back then. I remember. 1600e, and um, I was, I got down to Luton, I was going quite quick, I was 80 plus, I think, and suddenly the blue lights came on behind me, and police pulled Mm. me up. It came to the passenger door, and on my passenger seat, I had this orange box, BBC News, and he uh, said, ah, uh, I have television, I said, yeah, BBC News, I'm, I've got, I think it was another Queen's story. Yeah. I said, yeah, in that box is the Queen, whatever she'd been doing. I said, okay, uh, follow me. And he uh, he blue-lighted it into to London with me behind him to get oh. the phone to the television studios.
1: Jesus. that's what it was like <laughs> yeah.
2: so again I mean those are fabulous memorable days you know that was real journalism photojournalism and unbelievable unbelievable stuff I really really enjoyed my time and we were pioneering things all the time uh, certainly in television and um, I um, I went into television because with newspapers they would use one photograph I would take two or three on a story, but I could only get one used. But I knew with television, whatever I f- took, and, and, and I apply my photo, still photographic skills to movie. Uh, mov- movie is a series of still pictures, but joined together. You know, and you f- you, you frame it up and, and everything as you would a still picture, and then one, and then another, and probably close-ups, a white shot, and everything else. And um, I, uh, that's how I, I, I applied my skills to movie. And um, one day we um, we got a call to a hotel fire in Ilkley early one morning. I was sent to Ilkley um, and, and there'd been a major fire with several people killed in it. And when I got there, the fire was out, but the fire chief was there. And I arrived with my camera that said BBC News on the side. And they said, Oh, television, BBC. I said, yeah. I, I mean, in those days, news cameras were rare, you know, yeah. I w- was n- national news in, in, Ilkley, in North Yorkshire, you know, <laughs> uh, so the fire chief realised this. they said, Oh, you've television network news. I said, yeah, this is for these nine o'clock news tonight, six o'clock news tonight. I said, but uh, you know, I would like to have been here earlier and, uh, I said you know it's no point in coming when everything's over and done with i'd like to get here when all the action starts so he he said well come and see me at fire headquarters next week so i went to uh, the west yorkshire fire brigade headquarters the following week and for the next seven days they trained me as a fireman putting me through all the um, smoke tunnels and breathing apparatus up ladders and all this sort of thing and then he put me on the call out list uh in the fire control room so if there was more than two fire engines going or rescue paul berry the control room would ring me at the same time as they were ringing fire engines oh. calling out the you know fire stations i would be on that list so i would arrive with with the, most of them <laughs> and having my fire experience now i would i have fireman's uniform in the back of the car i would go into blazing buildings with them
1: jesus but
2: that's That's what it's about and i did that on my own because um i wasn't told to do that but i thought well you know if the public want to see this happening or that happening whether it be a a fire or a major accident or something we need to be there so um i was you know and as a result of that the uh the fires made the headlines or they were in the top three news bulletins um nearly every week and um you know every other night Though there has been a, a mill fire in Huddersfield somewhere, or somewhere on the national news but it was dramatic it was well alight or collapsing into the street and firemen running around and the whole thing I cu- captured all that and there, as, a, as a result of that the uh, fire chief got promoted to a majesty's inspector of fire services uh and then um, um it went on from there so uh then it was i think it was knighted on on the back of all that but that was fantastic because um he got his publicity which was advertising his fire brigade and i got my scoop pictures i mean uh the bbc and Leeds we won lots of awards uh and i'm competing wow. with the national boys that are covering disasters and stuff around the world but here i was in yorkshire with my mill fires and disasters from around here (laughs) and uh you know we we were doing extremely well but i loved doing it it was you know it was no point waiting for somebody to ring said oh that i would in that case i got them to call me and i built up amazing contacts um with the police as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and they used to call me so uh uh you know i got some terrific images it was great great days
1: jeez i mean i've been doing ever since (laughs) (laughs) you think how that's changed though for your standard news reporter now oh yeah there's the health and safety you don't even have to mention that it's no i think there's more of a it's not a hatred but there's definitely not the same relationship between the press and the public and the emergency services no
2: um oh, it tends to be them and us now and um yeah i've always been sort of a, 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 a friendly uh journalist i suppose i'm i'm on their side and i've always gone in softly softly but i've I've, I've got a reputation for that and um, I'm, I'm actually developing a new policing at the moment that's never been filmed. And um, I've been developing it for 12 months, but during that time, they're getting to know me. And with, with all my subjects, I, um, I spend many weeks, months with them without cameras, just so mm-hmm. they can get to know me. So that when the time comes to film, Um, you know, they're not saying, who's this and what have you done? Um, I went to NASA uh, about 10 or 12 years ago and uh, I wanted to know more about space shuttles because Mm -hmm. watching the television, you'd see them take off. You'd see the spaceship going up and then you'd see them in space in slow motion waving at the camera. And then you see it landing at cape canaveral yeah so i got in touch with nasa and said i'm sure there's more to it than this can i come and see what you do they said sure so i went across and um had a big meeting with all the chief astronauts and all the senior management at nasa and i uh, they said why do you want to film us?" So, and i went i told i told that story i said i i, I that's all we see yeah. i'm sure i'd like to see more and um I then got access to the, an astronaut team for a whole year, and I followed them from the day they were selected to the mission and then coming back again from space. So that was fantastic, and I think I do think I'm the only um, television person that was ever allowed that access at NASA. I scooped all the American journalists; they've not done what I did, and I would T- train every day with the I would train every day with the astronaut teams. And um, oh. and it was just a great privilege to be there. And again, it was my camera that was my passport to adventure, really. You know, I mean, there's not a lot I haven't done now. And uh, it's How been absolutely... How long ago was that, Paul? That would be in the mid mid to late 90s, I think, um, okay. with a Space Shuttle. It was Space Shuttle uh, Endeav- Endeavour that I filmed. Endeavour, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: and that was for Channel 4. Um, it's called Astronauts um but that that was great and and you know you it's such a great education because i have to learn the subject inside out before i can actually film it mm. uh to tell the story to translate what the the, the people i'm filming are doing into a storyline for the viewers but i love doing that
1: do you think that applies to both stills and video then or is that more just sort of video do you think
2: um Well, yeah, I mean, with stills, you have to tell the story quickly. One image has to tell the story. Hmm. And um, again, you know, yeah, some of the famous photographers, the uh, award-winning photographers, like the Pulitzer photographers, have immersed themselves in warfare around the world. Uh, and they 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 spend time you know with military units as as you know that Larry Burns and uh, Don McCullough and people like that were great war photographers and um, they they would spend time with the, the troops and that's similar to what I did with the fire brigade here I mean they get embedded with the um, military and so you know when somebody appears with a a Nikon. Um, camera in their face and they're not phased by it so they know it is and what it's doing and that's when you get all these great off-the-cuff imagery Um, Mm -hmm. and I think again um, where people are in trouble in disaster situations or in a war situation the human body is working at an extreme and to capture that on a, on a on a still photograph is uh, is amazing and i i've done everything on movie but i'll tell you what i still like stills i prefer stills i think to 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 filming because uh, to to get that one image that tells a whole story um is just a great feeling when when you get it you know yeah the right I moment that, that right moment
1: it's a very but, very tough skill
2: it is i mean i i as i said i'm still developing a new television series now but i i'm I'm spending time going out i spend all my time going out taking still photographs i love bad weather Mm i don't i don't like sunny days in july and august (laughs) um um, if i do a sunny day i will do it at seven o'clock in the morning or 7 p.m at night and that is a time when the National Geographic photographers, some of whom I've met and worked with, they do all their imagery 7 a.m. or 7 p.m., nothing mm-hmm. during the, the middle of the day because that, that, that sun is so harsh. So early morning day. light, and evening evening light is fabulous, it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I like going out when you know it's snowing or severe weather. Mm-hmm. It, it, Shooting in black and white, it looks absolutely stunning.
1: Mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some ace images. Um, I think coastal images, like you were saying, um, you know, with, yeah, the
2: with rough seas and, and the clouds and yeah. And I, what I've just started doing, I, I, I think it's only been a recent, in the last few years. I, I'm I'm using uh, now on some of my dramatic landscape imageries and. Both inland and and on the coast, uh, a 72 um, infrared filter. Oh, yeah, it's a very dark dark one, and you have to expose probably 400 ISO, and I give five seconds, about five six, and you get Mm -hmm. these absolutely stunning imagery. And um, this is what I like about the digital era is that you can experiment now and do stuff that we could never do that with. The nearest <laughs> we got to that was... Um, ah, so You'd have
1: had a Polaroid, wouldn't you? Yeah, the guy, um,
2: Ansel Adams, when he did all yeah. his uh, stuff in the States, yeah. dramatic black and white pictures. Now, that's what I like doing, stuff like that. and mm. uh, And black and white is so stunning. And someone told me that when you look at a black and white picture, the eye tends to look at it longer than it does a, a colour picture, because your eye takes longer to scan it apparently than a colour okay. picture. Yeah, um,
1: because you prob- probably your eyes drawn to red in a colour image. That's right. Or the oranges. Yeah. yeah.
2: But I think black and white is is just super. I love it. I really do, and I love playing around now with this uh, long exposure stuff with mm. waterfalls and uh, cliffs and seas <laughs> and all that it is really great and i've yeah. got this superb um, i've got an hp uh, arch format printer i can do ao size mm. that's 44 inch by three miles long uh pictures i
1: know
2: you may yeah uh, absolutely superb and um, to go and take a picture either with my canon long exposure black and white Nothing mm-hmm. colour, and all uh, oh, my um, Roliflex, and then do these lovely prints is terrific. I, I really get a kick out of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's good. You're doing the printing still. Um, mm. My wife for trying to sort out getting a printer here because I want to print some of my film images, and it's something quite a lot of guys that I've spoke to um, through podcasting have said you know it doesn't matter if you're printing digitally you, you're finishing your product because you know taking the image is just one part isn't it?
2: yeah i mean a lot of people poo poo that they say well look if you if you're photographing on film and you develop it in the tank and all that uh you should carry on and, and then print it in you know wet print it in in the developer and fixture and all that well, I'll tell you, you know, I spent a long time in the dark rooms making prints. And if you're doing something biggish, we would never get a, a correct print the first time round in the dark room doing a print this size. Where now, I'll take it um, on film. Once it's dried, I'll put it on my, I've got an Epson scanner, and, um, scan it in at about 8,000 DPI or something and uh you then got it digitally and then you can work with it um in in photoshop or whatever uh and then press a button and you get a perfect print first time around and the prints that are coming off now of these printers the greys and the blacks and even when you're doing color it's just unbelievable it's so so good (laughs) the quality and the inks they're using now will last up to 700 years well if you um the the print will last that long if you do that in dish developing now wet you know you hang the picture on the wall i bet in about 30 years time if not before it starts to go yellow yeah yeah. well some of my i did years ago with these large format printers it's still as crisp as it was the day I did it. You know, it's still really great. So, you know, digital has helped in that case. Uh, but it's great to originate on film because I think film gives it that great look, you know, that mm-hmm. semi great look that makes you feel as though you're there, which I like, you know.
1: Do you? Do you think there's something special about holding a film camera as well and the simplicities of it?
2: Hmm. I hmm. again, when I'm using my Canon and/or my any of my movie cameras, I switch hmm. automatic off everything and I just go with the speed and the f-stop and that's it.
1: Yeah,
2: I've still got a light meter. <laughs>
1: oh, that's cool.
2: Uh, yeah, um, I still do that. Although I, I know, I, I know now I, I well i've known for a long time i can't go outside or in here and you know in uh, there it's probably about a 40th uh, about three five with 400 iso um so i can yeah. and I to, I, that's the other thing that the newspapers and television news taught me i would be running into a news situation and i i had to set my apertures there and then, I couldn't get light meters out, and you know, I said, "Well, oh, it's two hundred f eight or whatever," and yeah. go that way. So, <laughs> I mean, I've doing it over fifty years, so
1: exposures <laughs> i am pretty much accurate with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, plenty of experience. To be fair, I think you can learn it fast. I—I've got to the point. I think in two years now, um, I do it by by eyesight all my exposures most of the time i don't take anything out of me and what's helped me is my vision getting worse Mm. um i can't read um anything close without my glasses so i can't can't, yeah so i can't read the old-fashioned light meters without my glasses and it but if i'm shooting analog i don't Mm. want my glasses with me and i don't take them out so, I have to manage with what I've got. So, um, my arms aren't long enough. So, oh, yeah. Um, so, then I tried using the apps on my mobile um, and I used that as a backup, but mm. the ISO dial is still like the original one. So, they've made it really small. So, the only thing I can do is make out like um, anything below 100 because I can sort of see it's two digits. Mm -hmm. and then i count up (laughs) to get to like 100 or 200 i think yeah i think that's about right Uh, and i've been all right i've done i've done all right so i'm quite chuffled with myself in that sense well
2: i uh as you see i wear glasses now for close-up stuff yeah and uh i normally have them on a piece of string around my neck when i'm working but mm-hmm. I, I go through a pair a week because if I'm running after somebody or climbing over walls, <laughs> they get smashed. And I've, I've got <laughs> smashed glasses everywhere. And my car is full of smashed glasses, you know. Um, oh, God. So, um, I, I need to see it to, you know, to, to look at all my, uh, to read my exposures and things. Um, mm-hmm. So I have to have them hanging down here. and. Uh, then I'm moving around and banging into everything. So
1: It is awful. Yeah. So you've probably got the same issue then with digital that yeah. you can see through the viewfinder, but you can't just yeah. see what you've took.
2: No, yeah. that's right, unless I put my glasses on.
1: Yeah. yeah but and I'm, it, I think, it really I think annoys I'm, me. I think I'm,
2: I'm, I'm going to explore this laser optical surgery thing, yeah. because it's going more cheaper now i think and because of what i do like obviously you like what you're saying you do um i need my eyes to work mm-hmm. from here to infinity straight away yeah. and it's a bugger actually uh, is, I'm into yeah. work with uh, and especially when i'm doing movies and uh directing people and everything else you know on off on off on off you know mm-hmm. um um so I'm, I'm i i think i'll look at that and that might help because um i know looking through the viewfinders now um i i've got to have these on to look um into the viewfinder on the Rolliflex, you know because it's a Fresnel screen uh it's not so bad when i'm looking through a viewfinder on 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 the uh, canon or a movie camera you know i can yeah adjust it to my vision then and that works yeah. but um it is a it, it is a problem when you on a fast turnaround when you're doing something quite quickly or something is happening quite quickly
1: yeah i I've, i think the issue is compounded on my bronica because i don't have a diopter in it so i have got to the point where i've done a trick um, so if i do um things with models I get them to hold up um, some writing, right in front of their eyes Hmm. and then I'll put my glasses on to see that it's uh, in focus Uh, and then I get them to take it down again and um, it worked really well. I find it a
2: a bit of a shame now when um, the young people come into still photography and or film or TV. Have not got that background that we've had you know with 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 photography and image making, and I do think now by looking at some of the television programs and that that it's it shows you know they've, they've not got a professional not a professional training and myself and and many colleagues that have been at it in broadcasting like i have. I've been to some universities and offered our services to, um, to teach or advise and help some of the students in, in, in photography and moving images. They don't want to know. So it is a great shame because we've got so much knowledge and I'd love to do that more and more. I actually did actually go out with a, uh uh, some students from a university in the north or what say, were on their third year shoot well they do a three-year course in uh, documentaries and um, at the end of it for their degree they produce a movie and we went to Huddersfield Market with them. I spent three or four days there just overseeing what they were doing. I wasn't telling them what to do. I was just pointing out certain aspects and have you tried this, do this. And afterwards, they came up to me and said they'd learn more in three days with me than three years at university.
1: Oh, dear. I mean, in that's fact, fantastic I, for you. I
2: know, but i I'd just love to pass on all my experience to these people because you know, we ain't going to be here forever. And this is the next generation of photographers and or documentary filmmakers. And uh, it's a shame that, you know, just simple tips. I mean, I was filmed by a young girl last week I'm um, doing a presentation in York in a few days time. And, and they interviewed me for local telly. And the girl came on her own. Uh, with a video camera, put it on a tripod. And when we, shoot, we were shooting in the cinema, so it was quite dark. And she had this light um, on top of the camera, or it's built into this movie camera. And it was very bright. And I said, uh well, what are you gonna do about that? It's gonna be, I'm too close and it's too bright. We're in this dark. She says, well, we, there's not a lot we can do about it. I said, well, hang on. So I, um, <laughs> I got somebody to go into the kitchens of this cinema. They, were, they did tea and coffees and that stuff and sandwiches. And I said, "Get go get some greaseproof paper.
1: Oh, so you're going
2: to came back and I said, put that over the front and it'll take it down several stops. And you have just got a lovely soft light. Yeah. I didn't know about that, she said. Well, you know, that's basic.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And I said, look, when you see people taking portrait pictures or filming, as you are, and you see lamps with this white stuff in front of them? I said, you know, we don't have the bright lights you, you, you did in the old days, you know, in the 40s. Yeah,
1: you were doing bare bulbs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But now you just have all nice soft lighting. You don't need much light. So you don't need these bright lights on top of these little video cameras. So she said, I've learned that. That's great, Paul. And she sent me an email saying, thanks very much. We're all using paper now in front of the... Uh, <laughs> you, see, you, you can buy special trace paper for lights. You know, that's what we you do. And yeah. so they've got some, and that's what they're sticking on the front now. <laughs> but that's just well, a simple see, thing.
1: Yeah, it is. And um, these are like, I mean, people call it like a hack now
2: when i was starting in television well well into starting in television
1: 15
2: years my first 15 years we used to have what they call film operations managers who would look at every frame and i would get a report on you were two stops underexposed or overexposed you know you're showing your pictures to the world you know and uh Mm -hmm. now they don't seem to care what they get you know, as long as it's something that moves, uh, mm-hmm. but they should. You know, the quality is, uh, I think, going down the tubes in s- certain aspects of uh, uh, filmmaking now, and uh, you do need that experience, and uh, and sadly, it's it's lacking, I think
1: yeah yeah i think you saying. i mean obviously i've talked to quite a lot of people um about um redoing film analog and cinema sort of photography sort of thing and there are little movements of it without a doubt in america it's still something that's happening um i mean i, I only just come off an interview a couple of nights ago he still teaches um dark room stuff uh, although it's a digital course, uh, it still teaches it. Um, but I don't think it's as common as your day. Um,
2: I, again, uh, I, I, what's interesting and 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 it's nice to see that they're bringing back lots of the wet processing chemicals and things now. The like, I mean, I I, I, I can still buy D seventy six developing powder, which I used. I still use it. Mm. And that's what it's I been used back in time, hasn't it? yeah. Yeah, D76 and TriX Kodak TriX mm. is a perfect combination and um, it is fantastic. And uh, um, I still use this as I say, the same film TriX mm. and D76 developer for my black and white images.
1: That's cool, yeah. I think, I think it's just like you say, is this learning gap. Um, People like myself, never done photography. uh, We're lacking experience. We're we're lacking the education as well. And um, to me, this is my experience because I learn a lot from interviewing um, people like yourself. It really does help me. And then, um, you know, I, I know a few people like yourself in real life that have pushed me. Uh, one guy gave me all the stuff to get my own dark room so you know I have my own dark room now and um, I started putting my prints out there and I'd take a picture of him and say oh what do you think Is like you know oh this is a and it's great to see you try in and I was like alright oh, thanks
2: yeah well a guy came up to me he, he saw one of my Beatles expedis- exhibitions and loved, loved the black and white images I took there and he got in touch with me and uh, in fact, he bought a couple of my pictures and they, he said, what did you take them on? And I said, well, a Roliflex camera. He went out and bought one. He said, can I come <laughs> out with it? Can you show me how it all works? And so I did. And he's oh, so cool. pleased now and he's developing his own uh, negatives. And then he does what mm-hmm. I do. He then scans them and prints them yeah. on the computer after that. And that's great to see that. and And he was so pleased that and he, he keeps sending me some of his images which are fantastic actually and oh, cool. uh, he, he wanted to go back to capture that era when we were mm-hmm. using these roly cameras all the time mm-hmm. and uh, there is something a, 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 about black and white pictures on film that you can't beat really
1: yeah Yeah, no, no, I agree. I've seen some amazing stuff, Um, uh, whether it's wet plates, dry plates, the the lot, they're all all so good. Um, I mean, one thing we've got to talk about then, so you've seen massive changes in technology, as you've said. What's been important for you then in this change from film to the digital world and how it's worked and speed?
2: I do like the digital world mm-hmm. and it does have its advantages, uh, because as, I, as I've been saying, I can produce my my pictures on film and then transfer it to digital, you know, by scanning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've got my digital images, which I can work with uh, in Photoshop and that sort of thing. And then it, it's very quick and it's not messy like, Uh, It would be if I was in a dark room trying to get prints done uh, Mm -hmm. was sloshing around with with, with chemicals and all that. And you can control it better. And I love all that. And I love the way that you can experiment with digital. Uh, I was looking at some images today before I I was talking to you, Andrew, uh, Mm -hmm. that have been sent into a competition. And uh, uh, landscapes, absolutely stunning stuff. Amazing, Well, you could not have done a lot of that with, with film. Film's okay. great for basic for portraits, it's great for some landscapes, but then all the magic stuff like the stars and all that, you know, you couldn't capture that, I don't think, as good on film as, as uh, you can now with digital cameras. And the speed mm-hmm. is great, you know, I can take a picture now, as you say, within seconds it can be on the other side of the world. Uh, yeah. Why well, you you couldn't do that with with uh, prints? We used to put them on a on a scanning machine, hmm. and send it down a telephone line, and it used to go <laughs> zzz, 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 zzz. You know that's how we <laughs> to get pictures to um, newspaper offices if we're on location, and things like that. Well, now it's just straight into the computer, zzz, and they're off. Um, yeah. Obviate, as you were saying the photographer then loses control over it, it then goes it goes uh, to other people that edit and everything where again as again in, 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 in the old days I I'll say we used to go in and I used to develop my own um, pictures and then I used to print them myself so you can work with the enlargers uh, and experiment with with it whereas now once it's gone it's gone you know you've got other people uh, editing them stuff i tend though to make my picture in the frame um you know mm-hmm. I, I sort of crop it before i even take it i think oh i need to be tighter on that so basically you then print the whole frame you've you've got the picture i actually uh, do it there, I don't do it in the dark room. And again, we, when I'm making documentaries, I try and, and tell the story in the camera before it goes to the editor, who then doesn't have to sort through everything. It's basically mm-hmm. just joining them all together. But again, that's through experience, um, which comes eventually. But no, the technology is, is just superb. I mean, it really is. And uh, that is a great plus thing with digital uh, and again, all these uh, different filters and everything else you can play with. It's just uh, stunning <laughs> stuff. So, you know, a lot yeah. of people are, are not professional photographers like I am. Have, uh, have actually done very well. And, you know, I was told last year, I think, that the UK now has as many people that call themselves photographers as people living in South, the of South America. That's a hell of a lot of oh, uh,
1: Jesus.
2: But uh, in my that's book, scary. there's still any photographers in the, in the country. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, I, it's something that's bred into you, I think. It's like writing a book. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think that's an art as well. Um, in fact, yeah, I'm writing about my life behind the camera. Oh, well, I'll let yeah. when, uh, when I finish that
1: yeah yeah
2: definitely yeah Uh, going through 50 years of some of the stories i've just been telling you uh which will be of interest to all photographers i think because uh you know i've tasted the front end and i started from nothing in the dark rooms right up to what i'm doing now which is amazing you know it's uh it's been a great life and i hope to continue doing it and I've been through all the changes from film to videotape and then onto digital what's going to come next, <laughs> you
1: yeah, know,
2: yeah. I've, learned, I've had to learn all that as i to keep up with it all up to recently. I, I, uh, I always carried my Canon with me for things that happen around me, but <laughs> now I think, well, um, you know, I've got this phone in my pocket. Um, if something does happen, I can either shoot it in stills or movie now, and the quote mm-hmm. is reasonable. I mean, you're not going to get large format prints from them, but no. C- certainly, if, if if it's a uh, a newsy type situation or whatever, uh, yeah. you better capture good images of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I've got one of my best pictures of Whitby um, Abbey. I shot. Um, medium 35 mil and then I did a test shot with my mobile and I think I must have caught the tripod when I was shooting on film so they're all slightly blurred my Mm -hmm. mobile shot it's just way better than all of them I was (laughs) like oh no yeah Yeah.
2: that's the way it happens isn't it yeah yeah yeah
1: and but you you just like well you live and learn don't you Uh, I'm just lucky I don't get paid for it in that sense I don't have that constraint over me um well that's
2: the thing where professional photographers like me if we do anything now the 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 newspapers and others and and, and i think television expect to get it for nothing oh i mean i'm talking uh, about this yeah i mean and now so much so that the newspapers which was a great um ground for learning photography because i know you asked me what what would i get young budding photographers to do i'd I'd say i would have said well try and get on a on a newspaper to start with but they don't do that anymore because they've got rid of all their photographers and they rely on somebody passing with an iphone now because they know they're going to get the images Uh, i mean i was at the scene of a small plane crash a couple of years ago in america I'm always at the scene of things always happening around me. And um, (laughs) I got some good pictures and all the American press got hold of me and said, oh, will you send me some pictures? I said, yeah, but uh, what are you going to pay me? Oh, we don't. I said, right, well, you don't have the pictures then. But, I mean, that's my living. You know, I am a photographer because they expect, because they get all, you know, somebody that's not a photographer, uh, with an iPhone or something, was we'll do a snapshot of it. Fine, but then when the f- professional guys come on and produce some good co- pictures, which I got of this this incident, mm. uh, you know, I, sh- I should g- get paid for it. But they, they don't seem to want to do that anymore.
1: No, it's completely changed. It? Um, mm. We we did a local charity shoot here, mm. and the local press heard about it put all our pictures on their website without even asking us mm. and I didn't even credit us and i was like oh my, my mate who organized it um threatened them with court action and they took them down in the end but it's disgusting i i'd be the same as you so even though i'm not a professional i would say i won't pay in because I'm not worth, you're not worth me putting my work out there for you no. for free.
2: Well, talking about, I mean, that's the copyright issue is a major thing now. Uh, I got a, a, a company in America actually stole one of my um, images from one of the websites that it's on. I think it was of uh, Mick Jagger oh. and put it on their website and are selling it in different sizes and saying it's their picture. Now I am going to go through the legal thing and chase that up. But people are just thinking because it's, you know, it, 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 they can pick it up on the computer that they can use it and do what they want. But they, they can't. I mean, technically, it's they're breaking the law, aren't they? Well,
1: it's, it's
2: just theft. It isn't it? like that. it's a commercial organisation yeah. selling photographs. You know, it's they—they
1: uh, they all know better. I mean. Anyone who says they don't is rubbish because yeah. you talk at school They've, now. The, the kids know when they're searching images that they can't use them or they're allowed to use them in school, print them off, but they know they can't realistically use them. You know, that's, teenagers know that.
2: Well, I know. I mean, I often put some of my pictures on the Google search engine you know, for, for images and uh, a lot of... People have, have used my, some of my stuff on Facebook, fine, if they just send it to themselves. But it's when the commercial companies, either magazines yeah. or publishing stuff, or in this case, a, a high-ranked um, American picture gallery is saying it's their picture, and it's not. I mean, that is naughty, <laughs> to say the That's least, it. really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and earning money out of it. Yeah, so, it's You've got to keep no. your eye on everything these days.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the one thing where it has changed a lot, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, there's, there is one um, uh, sort of iconic thing I needed to ask you about. Um, yeah. You've probably already said it's to do with your luck. World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about that? Um obviously horrible event.
2: Well, from that day... From those days back when I was 12 years old, things were happening around me. And then, as mm-hmm. I, I told you, when I was on the post in Leeds, the car went in front of me into the shop window, which was my big front newspaper first story. Everywhere I've, I go, things happen. I spent a year with the rescue helicopters in Scotland at Lossiemouth, and they had their busiest year ever because I was with them, including the Piper <laughs> oh. rig disaster. I was, oh
1: first,
2: I was a first I was the first at that. I, I've had four near death experiences. I was I've been blown off a volcano in Nicaragua. I've jumped from a sinking ship in the North Sea. I've been in a major helicopter crash. And then the biggie was nine eleven. Uh, I was in New York shooting a series for uh, Animal Planet, the Discovery Channel, called Animal Cops about the American uh, ASPCA uh, which is like the RSPCA um, animal cruelty investigation team and we were based in New York we were living two two blocks away from the World Trade Center and uh, on that morning uh, when the planes collided into the uh, World Trade Center I was two miles away at the ASPCA office it was quarter to nine in the morning because bearing in mind they're five hours um five behind UK them. time. Yeah. And uh somebody came into the office and said a plane had hit the World Trade Centre. And we um we thought it was a Cessna, a small plane, tourist plane, yeah. because all the time helicopters and planes fly around that part of Manhattan. That was a yeah. that is a cliche area of New York you see in all the movies. Mm. but because of my news instincts I thought hmm I'll go and have a look so I grabbed Becky my co-producer and Lulu my sound recordist. I said let's have a drive down there and see what's going on so we got in our Jeep and started to drive there down uh, the two miles down to the World Trade Center and we'd only been in the car five or ten minutes and we we, we saw the two towers with black smoke coming out of both of them so we knew it wasn't a Cessna and we knew it wasn't an accident you know it looked like deliberate so we, we we got down into lower Manhattan crowds were running the other way but we were fighting our way through the crowds with our jeep to try and get to the World Trade Center but everybody was coming the other way and it got so bad that we had to ditch the jeep so we just grabbed the camera and sound kit and run out um, into all this crowd that were coming, we were going the wrong way, I suppose, towards it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people were shouting and screaming, and I got an amazing piece from one guy that had seen the plane going to his office. He was down in the street when he saw the plane going He was really overwhelmed and excited. So I filmed him, and uh, I was filming all the fire engines arriving, and we made our way to the base of the World Trade Center, uh, just as the fire chief was arriving to set up his command and control point. Um, so I went up to him and asked if I could film him. He said, no problem. And uh, I thought, you know, this was going to be, a, well, it was a major incident, you know, which would make a, an amazing documentary. You know, the, the two tallest buildings in the world as they were at the time, now on fire with two, air, two uh, major aircraft buried in them. And um, so I started filming Gregory, I started, to, his name wasn't, filming all his fire chiefs, fire officers coming to our position. They were coming to our position and Gregory was sending them across the road to the north or south tower. And um, they were getting orders then to go up to whatever floor in the building the chiefs over there required. So, but there I was with Lulu uh, recording all the sound and here I was under the south tower which was only about 100 feet away f- from me uh, with a command con- control guy who was logging everything on a clipboard and a whiteboard on the on, on the boot of his car and i've been filming about 20 minutes all this and uh, i was in the middle of a shot and there was a, a loud explosion and i panned the camera around and up to see the top of the south tower begin to peel away um, uh, and come down towards us. It was like an umbrella opening up and the debris was spreading across. Uh, mm. I could hear all the firemen. I was looking through my viewfinder on my side, this little sunny camcorder thing I was using, and I could hear all the firemen shouting, run, run, run. They were running down the street away from me. And I stood there for three seconds, which is a long time, actually, when all this stuff is coming down towards you. I mean, these buildings were massive, they are about 1,500 feet high, so it was taking time for this stuff to come down, and it was coming closer and closer, and I suddenly realised it wasn't a place to be, so I shouted to Lulu, the sound girl, I said, come on, let's go, so we started to run down the street. Now, I couldn't see what was happening because I was concentrated on where I was running, but I had the camera still running. And it was over my uh, left shoulder. It could see what was coming. I couldn't, but the camera was still filming uh, this this tsunami coming towards me. The, the sound was horrendous. It was like being in the middle of the main runway at through airport with several jumbo jets literally coming over the top of you. It was just horrendous noise. I, uh-huh. I, I can't describe it. But I was running and running and running, and the noise was getting louder and louder. The camera was, as I say, on my uh, looking at this over my last sh- over my shoulder, and the next thing I remember was the camera falling from my camera in slow motion, and everything going black, and it was it was as though I was hit with a a fly swatter, it just whap, and whap! and everything just went black, and uh, I thought that it all happened very quick. Well, it did happen very quickly. And the next thing I'm crawling through all this darkness um, with all this gunge in my mouth, up my nose, in my eyes. I couldn't hear anything. Uh, I couldn't see anything. Uh, and my mouth was, it was like cement dust. It was all just caked in my mouth. And being trained as a firefighter, I was always told that if you get, even in a smoke-filled room, if you get down to the uh, ground, there's always three or four inches of air. There was nothing that day. I was hot and sweaty, uh, and I started to crawl through all this darkness. Now, as I said, I thought that it happened instantly. It hadn't. I'd been knocked out by the collapse of the South Tower. Something hit me. And I was lying there when the North Tower came on top of me as well, 30 minutes later. So I was lying there for about half an hour before I started to crawl out and uh, everything was just black, and st- my trousers were sort of burning, uh, there was burning debris around me and everything. And uh, after crawling for about 50 yards, um, the visibility started to lift a little bit, and uh, I thought, oh, I-, I can still breathe, I can still breathe. Uh, uh, and then I stood up, and the visibility started to lift a little bit, like 10, 20, 30 meters uh, and and, and, and I, I could just see bits of trees that have been bent over and everything was in monochrome it was in black and white because the, the cement dust and all the debris from the uh, collapse had just changed everything like ash from a, a volcano yeah. nobody else around and I suddenly got this awful feeling of where's Lulu you know she yeah. was with me when we got hit yeah. so that was an awful feeling I was shaking and I, I could hardly breathe I was still pulling all this out on my mouth uh, I was completely white I looked like uh, in the old days there used to be an ad- advert on telling for own pride flower or something yeah. and they had these little own pride men covered in um, mm-hmm. flower and it, I just looked like that and um, I decided to go back to look for Lulu and I, I got to the point where we'd been hit and um, in, the, in the debris I actually found the top of the sound mixer pulled that up and dug down and three foot underneath that I found my smashed Sony camera the front had been completely decapitated and all that was there was a the body bit and a bit of a viewfinder anyway I put the sound machine around my neck uh, and picked up my camera then i looked at this view in front of me and i was right in the epicenter of it all to my right uh, a, a tall building 30 floors was on fire from ground floor to the top the police cars the fire engines the 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 fire car that i had been with with gregory was all on fire and it was uh, unbelievable and then through all this haze but it was i'd only got about 100 meters of visibility i could see bits of the tower stuck in the road in front of me and the police afterwards said i must have been the first live person right in the middle of it all at that time because everybody had fled the second tower coming down and there's nobody in, in in there but i was still alive in it and uh so I looked at this view again, and then I looked down at my smashed equipment, and somebody told me that, "Paul, you've crossed the line now. Get out of it." I've never done that before. I've always gone in to help or whatever, even if I'm not photographing anything. I couldn't anyway that day because my camera was smashed to smithereens.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I backtracked. I went up the road, climbed over all this burning debris and smashed cars Um, it was like a child had emptied a box of dinky toys in the pile it was like that you know i was crawling all over this and i I got back to the uh, lobby of our apartment block which is only literally about 500 meters down the road and uh, lulu was in there Uh, luckily she'd been grabbed by a firefighter and uh, they ran into an underground garage and, and missed what i got hit with And I didn't know I'd been injured and Lulu gave me a drink of water in the lobby and she said, oh, your your shirt is covered in blood. I said, why? And it was all the back of my shirt was covered in blood. I got hit on the back of her head with something. And uh, I was then taken to hospital. Uh, The story is is, is amazing, but I was taken to hospital and... uh, they treated me there and uh, I got a three inch gash on my head, but it hadn't penetrated any further. So they didn't do any more surgery. They just cleaned it up. But uh, I mean, that was a, a, a day and a half to remember, you know. Anyway, yeah. we, we were dis- I was discharged from the hospital and um, I was sitting in the car park with my wife um, in the hospital car park where they put all these chairs for all relatives of, of next of kin and everything but there's nobody there apart from us. I was one of the, the first injured in there. And a nurse came up and uh, said, you, can can we help you? And I said, yeah, I would no clothes. I'd been given a, a white paper suit to put on that cut off all my clothing and confiscated all my my telephone and all my uh, credit cards and ID and everything else. So we got nothing with no money, no nothing. Anyway, she kindly t- took us to her house where we... Uh, I uh, had a nice meal. I had a, a great shower and uh, the feathers. And then after the dinner, I went into their sitting room and looked at this camera that we I still got with me and uh, didn't think any more about it. And I thought, I, 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 for some reason I switched it on and it lit up and I pressed the rewind Jesus. button. And this was a mini videotape. It started to work to rewind then so when it had rewound, I pressed play and I would got everything that we'd done that day on, on tape. Um, oh that was an amazing feeling to get that, that i had been through all that, that at the end of it, I'd actually recorded it all as well and me getting hit. Um, so that footage now is some of the, uh, prime footage of the, from the street of the building coming down towards the camera and then overwhelming us.
1: I was going to say I'd better have seen it then. Um, oh, you
2: yeah, will. I, I went back, we then came back to England for a week or so and then I, I went back and spent a year with the firefighters that um, survived it with me and from them coming to terms, how well, they were coming to terms with it or not coming to terms with it and none of them was did. Say, yeah. it was just uh, yeah. an incredible experience and that is the other thing with documenting people's lives like I do is that you become part of it and be part of them. And because I'd survived the collapse with their colleagues of the firefighters, they took me on board as one of them. Uh, and it was amazing um, relationship where the filmmaker became part of their lives. as, And I was one of them as I was with the astronauts. You know, they treated me as... A colleague astronaut, and the same with all the programs I'm doing. If you work with people so closely, Mm. you become part of um, whatever they're doing, and they forget that you're a program maker, and that's when you get (laughs) images you know, when you know they relax, they know you. Mm. And that happened with the New York firefighters, and it was a, a privilege to be alongside them. In that very sad time, you know. Uh, but it, it was a And I was, when I went back, it so happened that a fire chief I'd met a month before 9 11, who I wanted to go back and make as my next series after I'd done Animal Cops, uh, he became head of search and rescue at Ground Zero. And I was the first and only person allowed into Ground Zero with a camera. So the aftermath. Oh, wow. I was in there filming it all, right to the point when the last grain of rubble was taken away eight Jesus, months later.
1: That's, that's amazing, Paul, mm. but you know, that, this did say something about your character and what you do, yeah.
2: well I do, I liked if I'm doing it. I, the way I look at it is that whatever subject I'm filming, you draw a circle around it, and most other film people tend to be on the outside looking into it. I'm on mm. the other I'm in it. Unless yeah. I can get that into the inner sanctum sort of thing. Mm. If I can't join the team or be close up to it, I, I won't do it. And if I'm working with the cops or anybody like that, I want full access. Like mm. with the astronauts, I want full access to everything. Because what I'm yeah. shooting is not going out on telly that night or next month. It's normally a year at least before my f- f- documentaries will go out. Yeah. And I, I said, if anything is a problem, something happens when I'm filming, you know, it's not going out tonight. You can talk to me about it and we can come to terms about it and sort it out. <laughs> so they like that.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, so. um, I have a style of working with people like that, and, uh, it seems to have worked.
1: Mm, no, that's awesome. Um, we're, um, we've used a quite bit of your time up, um, I'm, I'm not going to do, um, what I normally do because, um, it's been great to hear what you've got to say. Yes. Um, well, the, the one thing I always ask my guests. So, mm. um, there's two things. One, do you want to tell people where um, they can check you out—website-wise, social media, um, whatever your preference is? Maybe um, your talks. So, if you go ahead now.
2: Yeah, I I I, I do frequent uh, presentations. In fact, I'm doing one in York on the 23rd of September. It's a two hour presentation about my life behind the lens. And I'm doing quite a few of those. Um, I did one in Monaco. I do, I've been to many camera clubs doing it. Uh, but if they, uh, my website is paulberiff.com. Uh, if they get onto that, I, I you know, my uh, they can send a note to me or whatever. And uh, I can give them information of what I'm doing, when I'm doing it next. Um, But as I say, I do this two-hour presentation where I I start when I was 12 years old up to the present day. And I show over two hours my still photographs from those early days Mm -hmm. through to what I'm doing now, and some of the best moments behind the movie camera as well, and all my near-death experiences, including um the 9-11 footage so it's uh, it's a good uh, a good night out um mm. but if they want to get in touch with me uh, paulberiff.com um i don't really go on facebook or twitter but um <laughs> uh but if they as i say if they go to that website they'll uh, they can find me there's information on there
1: plenty plenty of nice pictures as well <laughs>
2: yeah yeah so anyway, it's been good andrew so if there's anything you want uh uh hmm. you know get back in touch with me you've got my email address anyway uh, yeah, i am no, a busy so... person you know i'm writing a book <laughs> about life. i'm trying to do a television series i'm, I'm doing all sorts of things so um yeah. they'll have to bear with me but if somebody's that keen um you know get them to get in touch with me
1: so the the only thing i can say is have you got any parting advice for our listeners
2: um yeah well do what i did just if you want to you know go out and get it i mean it is very difficult now because of the competition but if you if you want to get into media of either still photography or moving images you have to produce something and go to the papers or the television guys with something that you've done that is a bit different and you know i th- I, I think they will recognize enthusiasm enthusiasm that is the main thing you know nobody's going to come and knock on your door and, and ask you to become a photographer for them or to go out and take pictures you've got to actually motivate yourself and actually go out there and produce stuff and say "Look, would you like this and go you know great images try and get them into the your local newspaper initially and then anything really good try and send it to the national papers um, because that's the only way it's going to work really uh, and people come up to me and say how do I get into tele paul well it's the same thing um, I think you have to produce something first, something exclusive that they can't get or haven't gotten, Uh, you know, even if it's only 15, 20 minutes long. Say, look, I've got access to so-and-so, and and this is a film I've made about them. uh, And offer it to a television production company, and, you know, you might get in that way. Uh, But, uh, and, you you know, like me, you've got to have the look look on your side and touch what Mm -hmm. I, I... I seem to have been so far so um, just slightly <laughs> but yeah but you've got to keep at it you just nobody's gonna come and call you or facetime you or whatever and say come and uh, work for us you've got to go out there and, and do it yourself really
1: no no that's fine right well thanks so much Paul. um like you say i know we've scratched the surface i know we haven't even discussed your obe for your rescue work um <laughs> i think we'd have to do this way, chapter,
2: but... really yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it'd have to be a series of interviews i think won't it yeah well what, <laughs> i mean if we get this book
2: done we'll have to do another one based around around it because yeah, There'll be lots of stuff in that that you will pick up on that we haven't talked about tonight that is of interest to your to your listeners anyway. So uh, oh, that'd um, be awesome. Perhaps we could do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Anyway,
2: um, you've got all my contact information, and uh, yeah, why don't we go from there then?
1: Oh, that's cool. You'll definitely hear off me. <laughs>